Welcome to another informative episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. Know your audience. That is one of our key principles and it's something that we refer to over and over again in the book. We have found that in cases where risk communication succeeds, it's because of a good grasp of who you are reaching out to and when it fails, it's because there was a lack of understanding, a lack of in-depth understanding of who you were trying to communicate with. No Harm is the podcast for health and safety professionals like you. We're here to help you sharpen your professional skills and better understand emerging issues. A plan is a living document, and so you may start implementing it and discover that something you had assumed didn't happen or people didn't react the way you thought they would or a new stakeholder comes into the process. And so you have to adjust as you're going along. Sounds like a great topic. Let's get started. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Marvin Polis. So for this episode, I have with me, joining me remotely as a matter of fact, Regina Lundgren and Andrea McMakin. They're both from Washington State in the USA, of course, and they're here to talk about their book, Their book is called Risk Communication, a handbook for communicating environmental, safety, and health risks. It's actually in the sixth edition right now, which is really quite impressive. Regina, tell me about your book. Well, we tried to develop something that would work for practitioners. There are a lot of risk communication books out there that, you know, the topic is so timely with so many things that communicators have to try and explain to lay audiences about different kinds of risks. Um, but many other texts were um, very research-based, and we wanted something that was really practical for people. So this is a handbook that does have all the, a bunch of theories and explains them and how they apply to you, but it also has lots of hands-on experience because Andrea and I have years of experience in the field, and we've worked with many other people. So we tried to pull in, sort of fuse the background, the underpinnings, as well as practical hands-on advice for when you have to be communicating about environmental safety and health risks. Now, you mentioned that it's actually a practical book and that you and Andrea both have experience, lots of experience, as a matter of fact, as communicators. Andrea, can you tell me about that? Sure. So for myself, I work at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, which is a U.S. Department of Energy um, National Research and Development Laboratory in Washington State. And there I've gotten many opportunities to work on different kinds of risk communication, research projects, training, and so forth, because we cover a lot of different science and technology areas from climate change to food risks to agricultural risks, health risks. Uh, There's a wide variety. Um, Before that, I've also worked for a couple of nuclear power plants. So that's an area that obviously has a lot of concern surrounding risks. So that's kind of my background. Thanks, Andrea. And Regina, what's your background? Well, I first met Andrea when I was working at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. But um, for the last 18 years, I've been a consultant in my own business. I uh, work with government agencies and private organizations to help scientific and engineering experts communicate environmental safety and health risks to lay audiences. And I helped develop the first 
um, risk communication plan for bioterrorism here in the United States. And I also done things like cancer cluster investigations, um, environmental impact statements for new technologies or changes in major facilities um, and safety and health plans for different agencies and organizations. Okay, so both of you clearly have had a lot of time in the trenches as communication practitioners, which I guess is why you wrote this book, because you have so much experience. Now, the book is actually broken into four sections. The first section is about understanding risk communication. Regina, tell me about the first section of the book, Understanding Risk Communication. So the, the first part is the underpinnings. Um, this is, you know, if, if you're very familiar with risk communication, you, you may not need this, but if you've only, if you've never done it before, if, you, if you've only done a small little slice of it, this will give you the major theories of risk communication. It'll give you the principles, the key principles you need to remember and how they, up, sort of how to apply them. And it talks about ethical issues and constraints you might have to face. And then it does have a section on laws. It is largely U.S.-based. So that is, that is the only caveat on the laws for your viewers in Canada. The law section may not be that helpful. But the rest of it, like I say, gives that underpinning. Now, if there's one thing from the section that really stands out that you think our listeners need to know, what would that be? Know your audience. That is one of our key principles, and it's something that we refer to over and over again in the book. We have found that in cases where risk communication succeeds, it's because of a good grasp of who you are reaching out to. And when it fails, it's because there was a lack of understanding, a lack of in-depth understanding of who you were trying to communicate with. Okay. And then, of course, next step would be going on to planning the risk communication effort once you really understand the lay of the land. Andrea, what needs to be said about this? Okay. So in planning the risk communication effort, we really go through what the steps are as a risk communicator, talking about health, safety, or environmental risks, um, you're able to plan ahead of time. And one of the things Regina mentioned, analyze your audience, is, is a very important step there. So we basically take people through all the steps of developing a plan. So looking at your objectives, what you're trying to achieve, different ways of analyzing your audience and finding out their concerns, their demographics, and so on, developing the message itself, um, setting a schedule, everything that it takes to put the plan together, how you're going to evaluate it. So everything up to that point. No, I expect that here in this process, you're working very closely with your HSE people, and you're asking questions, what could go wrong? And if that does go wrong, how is our plan going to be implemented as distinctly different from if this other thing goes wrong or this other thing goes wrong? And you really have to think through all of the scenarios. Am I correct there? Yeah, absolutely. A plan is a living document. And so you may start implementing it and discover that something you had assumed didn't happen or people didn't react the way you thought they would or a new stakeholder comes into the process. And so you have to adjust as you're going along. Um, that's especially true for public health campaigns where you may kick off a campaign and halfway through it, you're doing some intermediary evaluation and you discover that 
people aren't getting the message the way you thought they would. They're not seeing the channels that you're using or they're misunderstanding the message or they have other concerns that you hadn't counted on. So that's where you need to update your plan and revise it and implement it. So you're always going through and uh, checking it against reality as you're executing it. And I suspect that at this point, it's also a good idea to check your plan against some of those laws and regulations that we discussed a moment ago to make sure that you're going to be on side if something should go off the rails and you need to implement that plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would be the first step is looking at laws and regulations that may affect what you're communicating and how. So you want to make sure you're you're aligned with those. And of course, the the ethical concerns as well, where things may not actually be written into regulation, but ethically, you know, there are certain circumstances where you, you just need to notify family members and that sort of thing. That's right. Absolutely. And that comes in disaster type situations like what you suggested there. It also carries over ethical considerations, carries over into are you in a role where you're trying to persuade someone to adopt a certain behavior? Is that ethical or not? Are you supposed to be objective and let them make their own decisions? Ethics really spans a lot of different areas, and and we do have a chapter in the book about that. Now, Regina, let's talk about Section 3, putting risk communication into action. What really stands out for you as a highlight of this section? We try to cover all the different sort of ways that you can communicate, which are the channels, as, as Andrea kind of referred to them to, sort of methods. Um, so we talk about if you're doing a speech, you're doing face-to-face communication, if you're using social media, if you're um, using, you know, a, a website or a kiosk, a database of some kind. So we have, for a number of our editions, we have tried to cover that gamut and then continually update them as new uh, opportunities um, arise and, and new ways to communicate. The new section in that piece right now is for, on this edition, is partnerships. We wanted to really delve into so much today is you don't, you're not talking in a vacuum. You're working with another government agency. You're working with a nonprofit, maybe, or a volunteer group. Um, you're working with a broad swath of people uh, all trying to communicate risk. So how do you choose those partners? How do you determine your roles? How do you make sure you're all working together? And then and when there's an occasion, how do you decide maybe this is not the right partnership and we need to end this um, gracefully? So um, we tried to do that with a new chapter in that section. Okay, now let's talk about Section 4. Andrea, that section is about evaluating risk communication. Of course, evaluating communication is something that we should do regardless, whether it's risk communication or shareholder communication, employee communication, you know, whatever the topic happens to be, whatever the discipline happens to be. What's special about evaluating risk communication? So I would say in evaluating risk communication, there are many aspects of that that you would use the same methods that you evaluate other kinds of communication, say a communication campaign, um, a public health campaign. But in risk communication specifically, your plan should describe what you want to achieve as part of the risk communication. So do you want to change a behavior? Do you want to inform a decision? Do you want the stakeholders in in a risk-related decision 
to feel like they were able to participate fully. It makes me think about uh, there was a campaign done in London to get people to give blood. So what they did there was they had various creative ways that they brought the need for blood donors to people's attention. And so their goal was for people to call a hotline and make an appointment to donate blood. So instead of just evaluating that as we got out X number of messages, we reach X number of people, you had to actually evaluate that based on the behavior you're, you're looking for. So in that case, it was how many people actually registered. And there was a huge influx of people as a result of this campaign. And they attributed it to the campaign. So that was a case where you really need to look at what behavior are you trying to achieve and then evaluate that. Did you achieve it? In some parts of risk communication, it can be tricky to do that because you may not always be in a situation where you can evaluate a result. You might have to go out and ask people, did their thinking change? Did they reduce the risks that they were taking? If so, what impact did that have on their lives? Um, so you may actually need to query people, survey them, get some kind of feedback to use as part of your evaluation. I think that's a really good point in taking a look back at the objectives and understanding, for instance, if our objective is to actually influence people to act in a certain way, then measure, did they act in a certain way? If we were to take it to a situation where, a grave situation, for instance, where there's a, you know, some kind of disaster happening and you need evacuation, the thing to measure is not, did the residents read the Facebook posts? Did they click on like? The real test here is, did they evacuate? Yeah, exactly. In the communication field, we're trying to get away from the so-called vanity metrics, which are in social media, for example, likes and shares. You know, those give you a feel for your reach. But if you're really trying to influence behavior or thinking or you're wanting to make sure that stakeholders are getting the information they said they want and that you're addressing your concerns, you really need to get feedback directly from them. Well said, Andrea. Now, Regina, tell me about really who needs to pay attention to risk communication. It's kind of a devil's advocate question, right? Risk communication is a surprisingly broad field. Several times you've mentioned disasters. That's one aspect. Um, we kind of divide the field into care, consensus, and crisis communication. Crisis is, you know, the disasters. Consensus, as Andrea has mentioned, is when there's a group of people who have to decide on how this risk is going to be managed. Um, it could be workers um, working on a committee that, okay, we found some sort of uh, risk in our, in our organization and we all need to decide how we're going to manage this. Or it could be agencies with some major state or province or federal regulation and how are we going to manage this. And then there's care communication, which is things like lose weight, stop smoking. It's personal care. It's making sure. And so really, that affects everyone. We all eventually end up being a risk communicator, even if it's only within our own families. Understood. That makes so much sense. Now, we could discuss this for hours and hours. Your book is just so comprehensive. So at this point, maybe we should just talk to our listeners about where can they get the book? The book is available online at all major retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, iBooks. It is also available from our publisher, IEEE Wiley. 
For an easy way to find all those links in one place, you can go to my website at rlriskcom.com and um, you'll see the cover of the book and a button to say learn more and that'll give you more details about it. We mentioned at the beginning of this episode that you're actually in the sixth edition and I guess it's important that people actually seek out the sixth edition because that's where the most current information and thoughts are. Absolutely. You'll still get, I mean, if you end up getting a earlier edition, you'll still get a lot of good information. But for the most up to date, and that chapter I mentioned about the partnerships and a lot of, of, of really good and case studies, that was something that we really amped up in this edition was a lot more examples for people to dig their teeth into. So if you want that, you definitely want the sixth edition. Splendid. Well, Regina, Andrea, I know this subject is important. So thanks again. Thanks so much for having us. All right, before we actually wrap up, I'd like to mention that Regina and Andrea were kind enough to offer up a free copy of their book to give away to a lucky listener of this podcast. So if you're interested, just connect with me, Marvin Polis, on LinkedIn and send me a direct message before December 31st, 2018. I'll do a random draw and send a copy of the book to the winner. Thanks for tuning in to the No Harm Health and Safety Podcast. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. And hey, be sure to tell your friends and colleagues who can benefit from our podcast. The No Harm Health and Safety Podcast is a production of Stimulant Strategies and Stimulant Media Productions. You can learn more about us at stimulant.ca. All the best, everyone, and stay safe.